Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message from our series called Managing Your Inner World, and it explores the things that Jesus said about how to have happiness in life, something everyone wants but may try to secure in the wrong way or not understand how to attain it at all. The Bible gives us clear direction on how to manage our inner world so that we can experience true happiness in life. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Today we're wrapping up the series we've been on from the Beatitudes. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10 says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 10 in the Amplified says it this way, Blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Well, this makes sense. This makes sense because Jesus throughout the Beatitudes is talking about our inner world. He's talking about the things that make us really happy, truly happy. And, uh, you know, here he's talking about making right choices. And isn't it true that when we make right choices, we feel good about it? Makes us happy. After all, when you know that you've made a right choice on something, it's more than just your mind that confirms it. You, your conscience also approves of it. You, you don't just know that you did good. You actually feel good about what you did. And it'll make you happy in your heart, just knowing that you've done the right thing. There's a, a sense of, of peace about it. There's a clean conscience about it. There's a, a sense of, of approval, if you will, coming from inside. And that brings about joy and peace in your life just because of how your conscience and how your moral choices are all aligned. Well, alternately, when we make choices that we know are going against uh, the morality that we, we know we should live up to, and we know that we should apply to our life, our conscience will single, uh, signal rather that as well. And, and so when we do that, you know, we can feel a sense of shame or guilt or a sense of regret. So our conscience can affirm the right things, but it can also confirm the wrong things. The definition of conscience is this. It's the self-awareness that judges whether or not an act one has carried out or plans to carry out is in harmony with one's moral standards. Conscience is like a self-check on our behavior and upon our thoughts as well. That's why we will say things like this. We'll say things like, you know what? I don't feel good about that. I don't feel good about that. Or we'll say like, you know what? I feel like this is the right decision. Or I don't have a peace about that. We'll make those kind of comments that are centered around conscience. God has not limited us to simply making our choices from our brain and our rationale. He has instilled a conscience as part of our moral guide in how we feel about things, not just how we think about things. Rationale and feeling are working together in our world. That's the way it is meant to be. Well, let's look at uh, David from the Bible as an example to learn from. David has been prophesied over by Samuel that he would be the next king of Israel. Saul was the current king of Israel at the time that we're looking at. Saul was not only the king, but Saul had become David's father-in-law because David took out Goliath and he was promised he would have Saul's daughter, his hand in marriage. So he ends up with Saul as his father-in-law. And you know, you would think having the king as your father-in-law would be a good thing and it should be, 
but not in this case, because he's insecure, because he's fearful, because he's intimidated. After all, when David took out Goliath, all of the people got excited about David. They're all like, man, you're good. And then they sang a song about David that compared him to Saul. Whoa, you talk about bad. If you're insecure, hearing a song that has your name in it and you're being compared to the guy who did better than you, that, that is like the worst. That is the worst. And, and so this is what's going on. He's totally threatened. He's completely intimidated by David. David knew what God was gonna do with his life, that he was gonna become king, but David was trying to do it honestly. He wanted it in God's timing. Wasn't gonna push that prophecy along. It's like, okay, that's a word from the Lord. The Lord can bring about the word. So he's running from Saul because Saul's trying to take his life, quite frankly. He's hiding for his life. First Samuel chapter 24 and verse one, here's what it says. Now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, it was reported to him saying, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to search for David and his men in front of the rocks of the mountain goats. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way there and there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Then David's men said to him, behold, this is the day which the Lord has said to you. Behold, I'm about uh, to hand your enemy over to you. You shall do to him as seems good to you. Then David got up and he cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. But it came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him because he'd cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Here's his men viewing the situation as a setup from God. It's like they know David's supposed to be king. They're looking at this, they're like, Saul's trying to kill you. David, you got a prophetic word from the Lord. You're the next king. David, this is your God-given right. And look at this. He's handing it to you like you couldn't get any better. This is your opportune time. After all, David, it's self-defense. I mean, he brought 3,000 people to take the guy out. All your army is with you, David. The crowd all agrees with you. It is the logical thing to do. And I'll bet as he heard the voices that just appealed to his reason and his rationale that it helped David begin to think in terms of that. So David doesn't kill Saul, but he cuts off a little piece of his robe so that he could show Saul just how close he was and what could have happened to intimidate him. But that was all it took for David's conscience to convict him that what he did was wrong. You just disrespected authority that God had put in place. You just disrespected the man of God that God had placed as the leader, regardless of how you justify it. You just stepped over some boundaries and you got out of your lane, David. Yet David was at a place where his conscience was healthy enough to let him know he made a mistake. Let's fast forward now. Sometime later, David is now king. He's now running the show. He's got his army. He has his enemies. He wins his battles. Life is going on. 
But at this moment in his life, he decided to stay home instead of going out to war as he should have. We'll read about that. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 2. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Job and his, uh, Joab rather, and his servants with him and all Israel, and they brought destruction on the sons of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David stayed in Jerusalem. You need to catch that because earlier the scripture said it was the time when kings go out to battle. David's a king, he's staying in Jerusalem. Now at the evening time, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent servants and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and had her brought and when she came to him, he slept with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. But the woman conceived. So she sent word and informed David and said, I am pregnant. Just, just look at, at, at the progression of what happens in David's life. You know, he, he doesn't fulfill his obligation as a king, his responsibility as a king to go out to battle in a season when he should have. I don't know, maybe he's being lazy, maybe he's just tired, but somehow he rationalized to himself, I don't need to go this time. Then he ends up seeing and lusting. Then he qualifies, oh, what's her situation? Oh, she's married. Well, have her brought to me. He pursues anyway. He ends up in adultery. He ends up with a pregnancy, and now he's got to cover up this mess that he's made. And so he tries to get Uriah to come off the front lines, go home, hang out at home. Everybody will think it's Uriah's child when the child is born. When that fails, he sends Uriah to the front of the line, sets him up so that he ends up being killed in battle. Then he marries his widow, and he thinks, I got this covered. It's all covered. How many know what you cover, God can uncover? Yeah. Mm, come on. And, and so that's what happens. God does uncover it through a prophet. But here's my question. Where was David's conscience through all of this? I mean, a little while ago, he's just cutting off a little piece of the king's rope. And he's like, oh, I feel terrible about that. This is a far cry from that. Where was his conscience? Where was his mind? You know, he's breaking several of the Ten Commandments. It's not like this is a tricky subject. Let's try and figure out what he's doing. You know, there's nothing gray about this, although it could be 50 shades of gray, but we'll move on from that. He knows, he knows the moral law that he's breaking, yet seems oblivious to them. Your rationale and your conscience are meant to work together to make morally right choices. You can, however, choose not to follow your rationale and to harden your heart against your conscience. I have to believe that David knew he was making a huge mistake, but he chose temptation over truth. I also believe that in his heart, he knew this was wrong, but he still chose to ignore what his heart was telling him. He pushed back on his conscience and then made a decision to disobey God that ended up making a mess of his life. Titus chapter one and verse 15 says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. 
but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Their mind and their conscience together. Scripture puts them together. They're a package in our life. This is what was going on with David. This is David all the way. His thinking and his conscience both defiled. His mind and his conscience. He's messed up with his heart and he's messed up with his head as well. The two are supposed to work together. If you're going to make right moral decisions in your life, you've got to embrace this principle that your head is meant to work with your heart and that your conscience is meant to work with your rationale, that your feelings and your thinking work together. They're meant to work together. They're meant, they're meant to complement each other. Okay, I wanna give you a little bit of a, of a picture of what this is sort of supposed to look like. I did not draw the circles near big enough, but that's okay. Looks like that one's running out of ink. Somebody told me this was a Venn diagram, and I said, that's a generous, generous way to look at it. <laughs> but here, here's the deal. Let me, let me give you some labels. So this here, this, we'll call this your self-will, okay? Self-will. And this over here being conscience. And this one over here being rationale, Okay? Or we could say this way, this one, this is your mind, this is your heart, okay? This is your, your thinking, and this is your feeling. Oh, that's messy. <laughs> that's okay, feeling. But here's the deal. Your self-will works with both of these so you're right in here is where you are meant to be making decisions. You're meant to be embracing both of those worlds. We need to think with our heart as well as with our head together. That's how God's designed it. I remember uh, when I was a student, this one fellow that lived at a place we were living at, I was out with him and, and uh, we were going back to the house and he says, hey, I gotta pick up a paper. So he puts his money in, opens the door, and he grabs two newspapers, pulls it out, and lets the door shut. I said, Eddie, you just grabbed two newspapers. He goes, yeah, I know. I said, but you only pay for one. He goes, I grabbed two because some of the guys back at the house might want to read one as well. And I'm like, but you only pay for one. In his mind, he's being generous. In my mind, he's stealing. <laughs> what was in his head came out of his heart. And that's the way this thing works. Listen, before you come to Christ and before you came to Christ, you were doing things that you would never do today, right? right? And you did them without concern. There was nothing in here going, oh, maybe you shouldn't do that. Why? Because what happened was eventually you got the word of God in your head and guess what it did? It trained your heart. It trained your conscience about right and wrong. And so you changed your position on those things. That's why you would never do them. Just because you feel something doesn't mean that you have the wisdom on how to act. Just because you feel something. Maybe you've had this experience. You feel for a situation and so you feel for a person and, and you just like, man, I just wanna extend some favor and some help, you know, with this situation. Let's, let's pick a name, we'll call him Charlie, Cousin Charlie. 
So Cousin Charlie's down on his luck. Cousin Charlie, man, he can't afford his car insurance payment. He's, he's got to park his car. You know, he's barely making it from month to month to pay his, pay his rent. And, and he's unemployed right now. That's what you hear about Cousin Charlie. And so you hear that, what do you do? Your heart starts speaking up, man. Your conscience, oh man, I gotta do something for Charlie. I can't just ignore this. You know, I gotta do the right thing here. I gotta help him. Maybe I'll buy him some groceries and take them over. Maybe I'll pay for his car insurance so he can get that back on the road and get going again on, on life. And you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna encourage Charlie. I wanna cheer him up. I'm gonna take him to the mountains and go skiing for a day just to cheer, cheer him up. I don't want him to be down. But then you look into the situation a little further and you learn that cousin Charlie is actually making some choices that got him to where he is. He quit his job because his boss wanted him to work some Saturdays. Now he stays home and he watches YouTube all day long. He hasn't even bothered to get a resume together and he's not actively looking for work. What happens inside of you? Well, let me put it this way. You just lost that love and feeling. <laughs> Your feelings change and considering the facts that you just learned, you're taking a different approach. You're probably going after Charlie saying, you need some accountability, buddy. You know, some people are more heart people than others. They just go with their heart. You know, they got a strong feeling about something, man, it's going to be difficult to change their mind because man, they're heart people. The problem with that is that when you lead with your heart and you don't use your head, you're vulnerable to being misled or taken advantage of, even gullible. You're more likely to get hurt when you just lead with your heart and you leave the rationale side out of the equation, just go with your feelings, you know, wanting to do the right thing, all the rest of it. Have you ever made a heart decision that you later regretted and then when you regret it, you said something like this, why didn't I think this through? Mm -hmm. That's all the heart people groaning. I've seen it. Fast marriages. Pastor, we, we've known each other for a long time. Really? Yeah, three months. <laughs> We're like dating every day on the internet. We're going to make this decision, heart decision but your head is going to find out you should have thought that through. Yeah. Now, other people are more head people than heart people. They're, they're, the, they're the thinkers. They're the rationale. Right and wrong seems really clear to them. They're rules people. They're principled people. And, and if all you do is approach your choices without considering your conscience, without considering your heart, you're more likely to hurt others. You may be right, but you might come across inconsiderate and harsh and uncaring and lacking empathy and legalistic. Listen, Jesus, the Bible says, had both truth and grace. Yeah. Yeah, How many know our truth needs some grace? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say it the other way. Our grace could use some truth sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get that thing working together. It's about truth and grace. But when your truth without grace, you are hard to receive from. Yeah. Have you ever made a head decision because you thought it was the right thing to do and the whole time you were doing it, something inside of you was saying, oh, you shouldn't do this. 
It's a bad idea. But you leaned into your reason. You went, I got it all figured out. I know what this, I, I, I know this stuff. I know this is right. And, and, and you're frustrated because it's like in your head, it makes sense. In your heart, you're feeling cautious. And then you found out after you followed through on it, why you should have listened. You see, we can get impatient with our conscience because we don't understand why we feel the way we feel about something when we do feel hesitant. But rather than ignoring our heart, we need to press in with our head and find out why do we feel the way we do about it. You are the steward of your conscience. You must keep it from contamination. Titus warns us about becoming defiled in our mind and in our conscience. Defiled means morally contaminated. So how does, how does that happen? Here's how it happens. Through unbelief. Unbelief. 1 Timothy 1.19 says, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffer shipwreck in regard to their faith. 1 Timothy 4.1-2 says, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Such things come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. Keeping faith, don't abandon faith, or you can be deceived. How does unbelief and deception defile our conscience and lead people morally astray? How does that, how does that happen? I'm gonna give you two ways before we wrap up. First one is this is when we're treating temptation as something to manage rather than something to avoid. See, that's, that's unbelief right there. Because God told you to pray to avoid it, not pray to manage it. But when you're in unbelief, you go, I can handle this. Well, that's not what Scripture says. That's why it says you're to avoid it, not manage it. I could see this being the road that David got on. He's supposed to be out at battle, but he says to himself, I've gone so many times, I'm gonna sit this one out, justifies compromising. Then he sees Bathsheba in the bath and says to himself, you know, he starts thinking, man, I wonder, I wonder who she is. He finds out who she is. Well, I'd like to meet her. After all, she's my neighbor. <laughs> Some people say the dumbest things, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but listen, now it's no longer temptation, now it's opportunity. And by the time he was seeking to cover up his sin, he's over his head. Temptation isn't something that you manage, it's something that you intentionally avoid. The scripture says to flee youthful lusts. Literally that word flee means run in terror. In other words, don't see it as something attracting your attention, but something that wants to take you out. Jesus said, pray this way, lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. If you want to keep a good conscience, steer clear from temptation, not just steer clear from sin, but deal with temptation. Set yourself up to avoid temptation. What does that look like? Well, let's suppose that this, this line right here, this represents falling, if I go forward, into sin. It's like, okay, you messed up. I don't want to mess up, so how do, I, how do I keep from messing up? Well, you got to understand that this part of the platform here is temptation. This is, a, this is temptation. When I get in this world, I can get real close to this world, end up making a misstep. 
So what does the Bible say? The Bible says this, I want you to keep back from temptation. Lead me not into temptation. I'm gonna distance myself from temptation so that the probability of falling is way less because of the distance I've given myself to temptation. Mm-hmm. That is good. Now you gotta figure out how to apply it. Some of you aren't even gonna go in that lobby because of them donuts after service. I'll tell you what, you're gonna be looking for another door. Just leave me not into temptation. Jesus' name. <laughs> Okay, here's one more way that unbelief works to compromise us morally. Liberal theology undermines the authority of Scripture with unbelief. Here's how liberal theology works. Liberal theology looks at the Bible as a dated book written for a different time. You know, with the thought of, well, today we understand things a little different from what they did back then. And so somehow that justifies not just compromising Scripture, but actually ignoring certain passages of Scripture to justify a belief system. Culture has changed. Morality has not. In fact, the old world was just as immoral as anything that you see going on today. Sin was sin 2,000 years ago, it still is today. People need a savior now. They needed a savior back then. Nothing has changed. Getting drunk will mess your life up today. It'll mess your life up back then as well. Nothing has changed. Stealing was wrong 2,000 years ago, and stealing is still wrong today. Come on. Adultery was wrong 2,000 years ago. It's still wrong today. If you're not sure, ask your spouse. Liberal theology looks to justify changing moral standards through an unbelief towards Scripture. Sin is also progressive. When you first engage it, you might feel bad in your conscience, maybe the first two, three times, and after a while, that conscience gets quieter. Say, why? Because you're hardening it. You're hardening it to where you can make those choices and you've lost Feeling. Can I tell you, that is a dangerous place to be because God gave you that conscience to help you with your choices to not mess your life up. Salvation is our only hope of a restored conscience. David's prayer after he was caught and confronted by his sins, Psalms 51 says this, create in me a clean heart, God. And notice what he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray, Lord, would you just, would you just fix my thinking? No, he already knew better but he went astray in his heart. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Because of Jesus, we're not just forgiven, we're restored. Our hearts are are not just cleansed, but our conscience is made clean again. We get a brand new start. Uh, That guidance system is fixed. Listen, the Bible says water baptism is an appeal to God for a clean conscience. Water baptism. That's why it's so important to get baptized. It's about setting our conscience right before God. The beautiful thing about salvation is that no matter how messed up we may be inside, how seared our conscience may be, 
Jesus can restore our hearts to a place of wholeness and sensitivity once again. Let's stand to our feet as we take time to pray. Father, I pray for each and every one of us here and pray for people that maybe have violated their conscience. Maybe they can see where they have hardened their heart, where their conscience has been seared, where they've lost that capacity in some area of their life to feel the way they should feel about it and change. Holy Spirit, I thank you for empowering change in their life. People that may feel like, I'm just stuck in habits and choices that are messing my life up. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit empowering them with life change, giving them a fresh start, a clean heart, and the capacity to make right decisions. As our heads bowed, I wanna, I wanna pray for folks that need Jesus, that may be here in this room, may be watching. The wonderful thing about our conscience is that when we're in the wrong, it does let us know. But when Christ comes into our life, it also lets us know. It gives us that sense of assurance in our own heart of where we're at with God. And if you're here today and you're like, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure in my own heart where I'm at with the Lord. This is an opportunity for you to pray for you to tell God, I believe in you, but more so, I surrender to you as the Lord of my life. For those who are here in the room, those who are watching online, this is your opportunity to set it right before God. With, the, with our heads bowed, how many here would say, Pastor, I'm praying this prayer for me today. Can you just give me a wave? If that's you, I'm praying this prayer for me today. That's awesome. Let's pray with those who are praying. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross, paid for the sins of the world, including my sins. And you rose again to give us a new life. I ask you to forgive my past. And I invite you into my life, confessing you as my Savior, the Lord of my life. And I'll follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our message today from our series, Managing Your Inner World. If you're wanting to know more about Celebration Church or if you would like to partner with us financially, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com. You can follow us on our Instagram and our Facebook at Celebration EDM to connect with us. Join us next week to hear another great message from our series, Managing Your Inner World.